It's a question many have pondered since a duck boat crossed the center line in 2015. Who should be held responsible for this deadly crash? But who should pay for all that damage, in this case potentially worth $300 million? Mr. Hirschman, before uh, I continue further, I have a question to ask you. Do you believe, as you sit here today, that Ride the Deaths International is responsible at all for the September 24, 2015 Aurora vehicle crash? The answer is no. I've uh, thought about that a lot. I don't think you can be close to a case like this and not think carefully about that. As I've talked about it with my kids and my wife and my family over the years since, uh, I'm confident the answer is no. Throughout the 2018 Ride the Ducks trial in Seattle, the main facts in the case were never disputed. The wheel fell off Duck 6, the vehicle involved in the crash, and that's why it slammed into the bus. The wheel fell off because the axle fractured. The fact that the axle could fracture was known by the vehicle's manufacturer, Ride the Ducks International, including its president at the time, Chris Hershend, who you just heard from on the witness stand. So because it knew there was a problem with the axle, Ride the Ducks International proposed an axle repair and sent it out in a service bulletin to Ride the Ducks Seattle. And Ride the Ducks Seattle got the bulletin. There will be no dispute in this case, none, that Seattle received this bulletin. Nobody debated any of that. What was really on trial in the end was whether it was Ride the Ducks Seattle's fault for not doing that axle repair that Ride the Ducks International had told it to. What that means is Make the repair, no excuses, get it done. Or if it was Ride the Ducks International's fault for selling a vehicle with a big problem and not doing everything it should have done as the manufacturer to fix the problem. Some of the evidence that you saw from the experts was that that collar would not have fixed the axle on Duck 6, that it would not have prevented that axle from fracturing. That's Pat Buchanan, lead attorney for Ride the Ducks Seattle, and John Snyder, lead attorney for Ride the Ducks International. Ride the Ducks International is the only party who did anything to prevent this accident, and there's uncontroverted evidence from experts in this case, two of whom are from the plaintiff, that had this collar been implemented, this accident never would have happened. Did Ride the Ducks Seattle do their job? What did they do wrong? Did they do anything wrong? I'm going to submit to you they did not do anything wrong, that they did do their job. Um, Ride the Duck Seattle argued primarily that they were sold a lousy vehicle and they didn't know. Again, Andrew Ackley, one of the attorneys for the plaintiffs. And Ride the Ducks International argued, okay, well, we, we mostly did our job you know, because we sent out this this service bulletin, and if Ride the Duck Seattle had only done the service bulletin, then none of this would have happened. And they said, we have this ingenious little collar device that we devised, and, and if they'd only used it, if only, if only they'd used it, 
this event, this horrible event, would not have occurred. My client is the only one who saw an issue and did something about it. You will not hear any evidence in this case of a single governmental entity that required Grinded Up Seattle to do this service bulletin or any service bulletin. So Ride the Ducks International blamed Ride the Ducks Seattle. And Ride the Ducks Seattle blamed Ride the Ducks International. And all of the attorneys for the state and the city and the plaintiffs blamed both. Every metallurgist, every engineer, every accident reconstructionist, every failure analysis, every single one was asked the same question. And every single one said this crash was caused by an axle defect on duck boat six. There is absolutely nothing about the roadway that caused or contributed to that axle fracture. The attorneys for the plaintiffs also blamed the state and the city, though, for the severity of the accident. Over the course of four months, combing through every detail of the tragedy in open court, there was plenty of blame to go around. This is Trial Insider Ride the Ducks, a production of Strip Matter Kessler Kohler Moore, the lead law firm representing the plaintiffs in this case. I'm Sarah Bernard. So all the years of investigation from government agencies and law firms, all of the hundreds of thousands of documents and hundreds of hours of depositions culminated in this big trial in Seattle. It wrapped up at the end of January 2019. Everyone made lots of arguments throughout about what should have been known and what should have been done to prevent the crash. And everyone who was personally impacted by it wanted to see justice. But what does justice look like? And what will happen to duck boats now? They're going to tell you that this collar enhancement worked. So a big part of Ride the Ducks International's argument in trial was that the collar fix, that axle repair that they had described in the service bulletin, actually worked fine when it was implemented on other duck boats and other operations. There were no other accidents. They're going to tell you that this collar enhancement reduced the chances of the axle housing assembly fraction. But a big part of Ride the Ducks Seattle's argument was that the service bulletin was one of dozens that came in all the time. And it wasn't marked with any high level of urgency. That service bulletin was a recommendation. Ride the Duck Seattle also argued that they had enough mechanics. And what you ended up with at the end of the day was a doubling in size of the mechanic shop. It's just that doing the collar fix was actually a major repair. Mechanics were not going to do this fix. Mechanics would not do this welding. So you need a certified welder. And they argued the collar fix wasn't much of a fix. What you heard from Carl Timstall is that no certified welder would have touched this project with a 10-foot pole. A reasonable person would not implement a collar that's not tested or engineered. Kevin Lewis, who was Right the Ducks International's expert, testified um, that he wouldn't put his engineering stamp on this service bulletin. So would a reasonable person implement a service bulletin? that an engineer wouldn't even put their stamp on. Meanwhile, Ride the Ducks International argued that the collar was a good fix. It was both effective and simple. 
It didn't require engineering, they said. So what's the issue about the collar enhancement? Well, you know, it isn't. It is not engineered. But you know what? This is not some type of novel idea. This isn't some type of major engineering principle. Frank English told you it was common sense. And anyway, they said all the government entities involved are still allowing duck boats to operate. There's been a reference to these are made match machines. Talk about overreaching. I mean, those made match machines are still in operation and still in operation in Seattle. So obviously uh, the government in Seattle and in the state of Washington and the federal government do not consider them made match machines. So where does that leave us? So now that we have spent some time together, I want to ask you the question I asked you at the very beginning. And that is, in your opinion, does Ride the Duck International have any responsibility for the September 24th, 2015 fatal severe injury multi-casualty incident on the War Bridge. So I'd give you the same answer again. Um, no. Um, I feel like our communication about the concerns and the improvements we suggested have all uh, done their job had they been Attorneys for the plaintiffs, meanwhile, not only hammered each defendant when it came to axle fractures, a lack of engineering, a lack of a median barrier on the bridge, and so on, but also, every single day, another plaintiff would get on the witness stand and tell his or her story. You know, I don't keep count of the surgery. I don't keep count of doctor appointment that I have. It's sad, because I feel like I really want to go back to that time where I was so happy. Well, when, when you've been with someone over 50 years, it shakes you up. Well, it's just a special relationship that you have with your mom. You just can't compare that to anything else. Each person filled in the picture of what really happened for the others. That was a huge part of this trial. Which was actually a kind of unusual way to approach a trial like this. Here's Karen Kohler again, lead attorney for the plaintiffs. A trial like this involving a mass disaster almost has never tried like we're trying it. Like This is almost an experiment of, of trial. It certainly is for King County Superior Court where we're trying this case in Seattle. When you have a mass of people who are suing, they're not normally treated individually. Instead, most of the time, just two or three people's stories are told on the witness stand. And then those results of what the jury finds will be then applied kind of with an algorithm to all the remaining people. Not so here. We were determined from day one to tell this story personally on behalf of everyone and to treat them like individuals. And no matter how painful any one person's experience was, the defendants were not allowed to say they were sorry. Before the case actually got to the jury, we, we get to do things called motion and liminees where we ask that certain things not come in to the trial. And one of my motions in limine was to prevent them from apologizing. Because what a defendant will do is they'll get up there 
and they'll say, we just want to tell everybody how sorry we are for what happened. We want to extend our sorrows. This was a terrible thing that happened, but it wasn't our fault, right? That's their storyline. Well, okay, saying it's not your fault, that's relevant. Saying you're sorry, if you were sorry, you probably should have paid funeral expenses. You probably should have helped them bury their children and their mothers. You should have paid for their medical expenses. You should have done more than just try to say it in front of a jury so that you could score points. So the jury, over the course of months, had to listen and take notes and listen and figure out, in the end, if there was fault here. And if so, which defendant was actually at fault and to what degree? And because this was a civil trial, how much money, if any, they owed each of the 43 plaintiffs? And it is about the money. Because that's all the jury can do, right? They can't give anybody back anything, and they can't make the defendants do anything other than pay. And money is a symbol um, of our society. And for these people, that's the only symbolic gesture that they're going to receive. And it needs to be a huge amount because they need to be validated what they went through. They need to be helped. They need to understand that you know, you come to this country for a visit or to go to school, you shouldn't be killed or critically injured or filled with PTSD so bad that you want to commit suicide. When you award damages, it is not about symbolism. In their closing arguments, attorneys for Ride the Duck Seattle and International kept fighting over whose fault the accident was. But when it came to how much money was owed each plaintiff... It's about making plaintiffs whole. On that, they agreed. They both asked the jury to be reasonable. It's about being fair. It's about being reasonable. The question is, what is the nature and extent of the injuries? It's a question many have pondered since a duck boat crossed the center line in 2015. Who should be held responsible for this deadly crash? Uh, but they're, they're seeking really more than $300 million. But who should pay for all that damage? In this case, potentially worth $300 million. Soon, jurors will decide just that, at least when it comes to compensation for victims and their families. And after four months of testimony, jurors are expected to return a verdict at 1.30 today. Karen and Andrew were pretty nervous waiting on that verdict. Thought, is that good? Is that bad? Is that bad? What, what does it mean? The jurors deliberated mean? for a full week and a half. I didn't think they would have a verdict the first week, and they didn't. And that was, to me, that was good news, because that meant that this totally focused jury would, would do the work. They wouldn't just rush to judgment. The second week, everybody kept asking me about the verdict. Right. Everywhere I walked, people were asking me, was the verdict in? The reporters were calling, you know, people. So even if I tried to put it out of my mind, more difficult to put it out of my mind. And then they said, come in at, at uh, noon. The jury's going to have a verdict by tomorrow. They're pretty sure. And that's when your stomach drops and you go, oh, great. Oh, no. Oh, great. Oh, no. Well, maybe they will. Well, maybe they won't. And so you just sit there worried sick, really. At last, the verdict came in, and the blame was placed primarily on Ride the Ducks International. 
70%. The bulk of the blame, more than two-thirds of the liability placed on Ride the Ducks International, the Missouri-based manufacturer that rebuilt duck boats used by local tour operators around the country. Did Ride the Ducks International supply a product that was not reasonably safe in construction at the time the product left Ride the Ducks International's control? Answer, yes. The remaining 30% was for Ride the Duck Seattle. There was one big surprise in this case. The jury did not hold the state of Washington or the city of Seattle liable for not having some sort of a center divider across the middle of the Aurora Bridge. The blame and the obligation to pay damages is placed squarely on the operator of the duck amphibious vehicle and especially on the company that built it. It called for a total payout of $123 million. Not $300 million, but still, it was a lot. This was a big and complex case. Even just reading the verdict took a long time. question 29. What do you find to be damages? Normally a verdict, to read it, takes about 30 seconds. Well, in this case, it took an awful long time. I don't even know how long it took for her to read the verdict. But it was, in some ways, it was helpful to actually process what was happening because it was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, it was an onslaught of... Of, of, I mean, it was a lot of answers to questions that we've been wondering for three years. In the hallway outside the courtroom, Karen told reporters that this was exactly what her clients had hoped for. What happened in here is full of vindication. So they wanted to be heard. They wanted it, you know, for themselves to be believed and not belittled. They wanted this experience to... Um, understood just like the jury understood it. A lot of our case was presenting psychological testimony. Um, these claims were not accepted or valued by the defense. They felt that, sure, they had a little shock and, and, and this wasn't good, but hey, they were back in school, they were going on trips, and they were fine. Um, and they were not fine. And the jury really honored what happened to every single person that survived that incident. The smallest sum handed out with this verdict was $40,000 to a man who hadn't been on the bus or the duck boat, but driving on the bridge at the time of the accident. The largest sum went to Fung Din, whose body had been half crushed by the impact and whose name was on this lawsuit. She was awarded over $25 million in damages. Uh, there's never been a trial like this trial. As far as I know... Well, certainly it was the biggest verdict for a plaintiff uh, injury trial in Washington. It is, as far as I know, the biggest, longest case in King County. That's a civil case, not a criminal case. I don't know if we broke records for the most exhibits and the most witnesses, but it was a monster of a trial in all ways. Do you think you'll see all that money? <laughs> you think that will all be paid out? Oh, that's for a whole nother day. This fight is not over. Any case that's a large case, you can pretty much expect there will be an appeal. So you celebrate the verdict day one, and day two you start getting ready for the appeal. Ride the Ducks International and Ride the Ducks Seattle did immediately appeal the verdict. Their primary claim was that our trial judge was biased and caused a, an unfair trial uh, because her actions were improper. 
and they wanted the entire thing thrown out the case against the verdicts against the state and the city that let them go for nothing they wanted this the verdicts out for the ducks seattle and ducks international they said the whole thing was tainted and that's a hard row to climb meanwhile the next trial was starting yeah the next trial Although the 43 plaintiffs and this huge trial represented the majority of the claims against Ride the Ducks International and Ride the Ducks Seattle for the 2015 accident, there were a number of other individual lawsuits. Some of them settled, but some of them didn't. And attorneys started to wonder if the Ride the Ducks companies would even be able to pay all of these claims. So one of those cases was going to trial as a single case, uh, and that lawyer and I talked quite a bit to the Ducks about what's going on here because they did not have enough money left on their policy to pay the remaining claims, and that was going to be a problem. It took months, including three and a half full weeks of negotiation. But ultimately, the Ride the Ducks companies did go ahead and drop their appeal. And all the plaintiffs in the big case agreed to settle for slightly less than their full payout so that hopefully there'd be enough insurance left for other plaintiffs, too. This is a huge hit to the insurance companies to pay this big of a, of a verdict. Over, total over $170 million that's been paid out in this case. So far. But that still might not be enough to cover all of the claims. After that initial verdict in January for the DIN group, there were still 10 more individual cases left. Some settled, some went to trial, and most of them won millions of dollars. And the very last one wrapped up with a $4 million verdict in June. It's unclear what will happen now. The insurance policies are basically maxed out for these companies. It's one thing to get a big verdict. It's another thing to be able to collect it. And that's just for the most part from the Seattle accident. Ride the Ducks Seattle and Ride the Ducks International do have large insurance policies that should cover these settlements. But keep in mind, there have been other incidents since this one. There's a whole other set of lawsuits that came out of the Branson accident when 17 people drowned on a Ride the Ducks boat in Missouri in 2018. There's another new lawsuit related to the duck boat tragedy in Missouri. Last night, we filed the first complaints uh, in this case, wrongful death complaints. Ripley Entertainment, which is the owner of the duck boat that sank in Missouri, now asking the victim's families to consider entering mediation to settle the legal claim. The suit filed by the Missouri Attorney General accuses the boat's operating company of violating state statutes offering consumer protection. So Ride the Ducks International is not really in business these days. Ride the Ducks International is still in existence, really just for the purposes of finishing up all this litigation. Most of its Branson fleet was sold to Ripley's Entertainment in December 2017. And after the accident the following summer, Ripley said it wouldn't be operating those tours anymore. In a statement, they said that Ride the Ducks will not be back this tourist season. Instead, the company, Ripley Entertainment, will open a replacement attraction in Branson. And then in May 2019, Ride the Ducks International sold the rest of its fleet to an Arkansas company. In regional news now, a quick buy means a new owner for some of Branson's remaining duck boats. Duck W Arkansas in Hot Springs has purchased 18 duck boats from Ride the Ducks International. But he says he doesn't know what he will do with the boats yet. Only eight of them still run. And partly because of all of these accidents over the years, 
at least three other duck boat operations, besides the one in Branson, have struggled to keep business going. Just Ducky will not run any more tours this year. Yeah, they've been having some tough times, a significant decline in business. The company that runs the amphibious tour operation has closed down in Philadelphia after 13 years. They blame soaring insurance premiums. If you haven't taken one of Mobile's duck boat tours, you'd better hurry. The tour boats will soon be gone from the port city. Tyndall says the company's been unable to get insurance coverage for next year. That's after the tragedy in Branson, Missouri, over the summer that killed 17 people. And in fact, they've shouted loud and clear they have no connection with it. But the fact is, the undertow of Branson has forced them to close the door for the year. There are more and more people out there who are calling for duck boat tours to be shut down entirely. And those people include not only victims of these accidents and their attorneys, but a lot of governmental regulators and politicians, too. Tonight, the danger of those duck boats. New calls for an immediate nationwide ban. Now, a former NTSB boss says the tours need to be banned nationwide. He basically compares these tours to unregulated amusement rides, and they don't fall in either the boat category or the bus category, which makes stricter safety requirements quite difficult. Some people are asking if ducks part boat, part bus, are fit for land or water. Who is going to step up and say enough is enough? He is calling for a nationwide ban. Federal ban on amphibious tourist a boats. A national ban on duck boats. Still, there are people who think it's possible to make duck boat tours safe. There's still that bill floating around in Congress that would create new federal safety requirements for duck boats. And some changes already made in Boston, for instance, have satisfied most regulators so far. Safety changes for duck tours in Boston. A popular company has altered how it operates after the death of a woman. The city's mayor is assuring people that this popular tourist attraction is safe. Boston Duck Tours has installed proximity sensors and cameras for increased visibility. And two employees will be assigned each vehicle, one presenting the tour and the other driving. These changes will protect people on and near the duck boats. And despite ongoing litigation, Ride the Duck Seattle is still operating. It isn't allowed to use any of those stretch ducks, the kind of vehicle involved in the 2015 crash. Their fleet is now only made up of so-called truck ducks, which are newer vehicles with a different design. But the tours go on, and the company says it's made a number of other changes, too. Now, Ride the Duck Seattle did issue a statement saying it's made changes to its operations, improved inspections, and strengthened critical parts. It's still getting regular inspections from the Coast Guard and the Washington State Utilities and Transportation Commission. And it hasn't run a tour over the Aurora Bridge since September 24th, 2015. And while there have been a lot of fatalities over the years on duck boats, not every tour operation has had them. In the Wisconsin Dells, for instance, where these World War II-era vehicles were originally transformed into tourist rides, there have never been any major accidents. More than 250,000 people take a ride on one of these every year here in the Dells. That comes with a lot of liability. This company is often used as a lesson on how to get it right. The owner of that operation believes it has a lot to do with their boats. They weren't pulled apart and remanufactured without regulatory oversight, like Ride the Ducks International's Stretch Ducks. Local duck company owners say many of the ducks used across the country are actually manufactured, stretching them to fit more people. 
They were also never taken into big bodies of water. Ducks are close enough to the shore of Lake Delton that they can turn back quickly. Or big cities. Here's Andrew again, talking about Ride the Ducks International. One of the things that offends me most about what happened, what they did over these decades, is that they started on these sort of back roads like Baird Mountain in Branson, Missouri, uh, and then they started sending them to major cities where there's lots of traffic, high speeds, um, and you see a lot of these, especially on the roadway, you see a lot of these crashes are in Philadelphia, Boston, Seattle. They never stopped and thought that maybe there's a limit to our own knowledge. Life takes risk. It's hard to argue against that. Accidents happen. And accidents happen every day in all kinds of vehicles, and people still get in those vehicles. So if you haven't personally experienced the kind of tragedy that people in Seattle and Branson experienced, something that changed your life forever, you might go ahead and take that risk. Risk is part of life, um, but it should be intelligent risk. And we have a lot of systems set up to make sure that risk is managed. We have rules that people are supposed to follow to take care of managing risk. You just, you just don't throw up your hands and say, well, risk is a part of life, and so everybody just have a free-for-all. There were rules that were established that everybody follows when you manage and manufacture the production of a vehicle whether it goes on the road or not, let alone goes on the road in the water. The Seattle accident was not the first fatal duck boat accident to happen, or the last. But now, after millions of dollars in settlements, after a national conversation and a whole lot more regulatory scrutiny at all levels of government, maybe... Maybe this will make some change for the duck industry that will make a Trial Insider Ride the Ducks is a production of Stripmatter Kessler Kohler Moore, the lead law firm representing the plaintiffs in the 2018 Ride the Ducks trial in Seattle. Representatives from Ride the Ducks Seattle and Ride the Ducks International declined to comment for this podcast. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Whitney Henry Lester. Engineering help from Mike Todd. Music in this episode was by Jazar, The Grand Affair, Ugono Nikwe, The Brothers Records, Little Glass Men, and Anno Domini Beats. And our theme music is by The Insider. Special thanks to the team at Strip Matter Kessler Kohler Moore, who helped make this case happen. Karen Kohler, Andrew Ackley, Jessica McClure, Debbie Watt, Garth Jones, Melanie Nguyen, Lisa Benedetti, Mike Todd, Ryan Monahan, Brad Moore, and Patty Sims. And a huge thanks to the co-counsel, who also helped make this case happen. 
Tim Loringer, Alex Chun, Richard Benedetti, Matt Dubin, Arthur Laritz, Melissa Carter, Bradley Johnson, Brian Krikorian, Doug Phillips, Anthony Marsh, Dan Williams, Zhang Wan Yi, Jeff Hightower, David Rovang, David Kim, Patrick Kang, Chris Jackman, and Bohan Decker. To learn more about the Ride the Ducks trial, visit stripmatter.com. And to listen to all of the episodes in the series, visit stripmatter.com slash podcast. Or search for Trial Insider Ride the Ducks on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or most places you get podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.